took a chance on someone or has someone risked or, or, or had taken a chance to help you in some way, some fashion? Think about that for a second. Has anyone been there in your life to help you in any means, any way, to, to comfort, to push you, to help you understand? In other words, they took a real chance and a risk on you, and at the same time, who have you taken a chance and a risk on in your life? The church could call it discipleship. It is what it is. Uh, but did, have, have, has anyone invested in your life that you can think of right now? And have you invested in others' lives that you can think of? And went the extra mile with them even. Even to the point of casting pearls among swine and have to back off. That invested. It, so invested that they could ruin your name <laughs> by their behavior because you put your stamp of seal of approval on them. Uh, think about that for a second, because that's what we're looking at, because the Apostle Paul put his stamp of approval and passed the, the baton to his son in the faith, Timothy, and said, here's the final letter I'm writing you. I'm pretty confident this is it. Uh, I'm discerning that this is the time. I've stayed here as long as I can, and I will for your sake, but I, it's, it's time for my departure. I can tell Nero's in charge. Uh, Christianity, to be a Christian, is in a hot environment at the time where persecution is rising, but also Christianity is thriving through persecution. Go figure how God would work that one. And so this is what's going on. And he, he wrote the first letter uh, of admonishments, warnings, encouragements. Um, if you're going to write a letter to somebody and it was the last one and you had to say, look, I'm going to write you a three or four page letter at the end of my life just to press in and press on and keep going and what would your letter look like? Have you ever written one, actually? Not that it's in your life, I'm just saying, uh, we don't know, but have you ever done that, have typed, written something to someone to say, hey, I know where you're at, keep going, uh, uh, help them with the scriptures, etc. You risk your reputation, your time, your resources on an individual investment. You invested in someone's life. That's what Paul's doing with Timothy. And he says, Timothy, um, uh, continue in this, invest in others. He says, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Keep passing that baton. The same baton's been passed to all of us as Christians here. It's a letter to Timothy. It's personal, but it's also a letter to us because it is personal, as you've heard before from, from the pastors. And being up here made me think, uh, of hearing the sermons day in, day out, uh, week in, week out when I'm here coming from the pulpit. I believe from what I hear even in other Christians around town, I've, I've, we've lived here a few years now, is that you're a very blessed people to get the Word of God uh, that, that you get here. Uh, I'm not raising them up, tooting its horn, I'm not putting, putting the pastor on the pedestal, but I'm just saying uh, there's no perfect pastor, but you get the Word of God here. Uh, expounded and explained um, at whatever cost that would be. Some will, will not like it. They'll leave. They don't like the Word of God. They're going to leave. But it made me think of this. Um, one quote from uh, Whitfield says, Other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. That's what I think of when I hear these guys preach from the pulpit. That's my safety. As he introduced me, I'm like, this is my safety quote. I already had it in here. Uh, so you're looking at this guy investing into another to pass the baton. A, uh, another mentor of mine said, remember that the baton uh, that was passed to you has blood on it. Take your charge seriously. The baton has blood on it from, from the past church. That's how serious this is. And I'm a jokester, if anybody knows me, but not typically here. You won't see that here. You'll see the opposite here because we have blood on our hands from the past martyrs, past people, past, and they passed it to us, and we're to run with it as a church. I'm talking about as a local body church. Maybe the universal church, yes, but I'm talking local body. And I'm preaching way above my head, and I'm definitely preaching to me today. Um, so uh, you see this ongoing, uh, ongoing, uh, a thrust of, of Paul wanting to get all he can into Peter before he departs and trusting God that God will and he Paul knew carry the gospel and carry the truth through no matter what uh, Paul will die and he knew it 
and he knew the gospel would continue, but he had a responsibility to pass the baton. He didn't go up in the stands and be like, I'm out, I retired, I'm done. He didn't, he passed the baton with the assurance of a sovereign God behind him that says, I have responsibility, I'm not gonna back down, and I'm gonna run with this thing and pass it to the end. And it's very proof that he passed it to Timothy, Timothy passed it to others, they passed it, and the baton has spread. And uh, let's, let's put it this way, America may go down, Christianity never will. If you look at church history, there's been some dark times in the Christian church, uh, but it has never left. In dark times, it only grows deeper. The roots go deeper, maybe not broad, but they go deeper. So uh, there's some things that uh, we can do to live this life out. And one, I just wanna get into the text real quick. We'll read it and then we'll start going down like they do. We'll start right, going, going right down through it. So without further ado, if you're there, um, yeah, here's some of my outline, if, if, if it helps you. We, we won't really fully go through all of this, I don't believe, for the day, but uh, you can write that down. Uh, we looked at that. There's, there's the, yeah, you can write that down if you wanted to. If you're a note taker, if you see my Bibles and papers, everything you know, I write all, everything. I've got 10,000 notes in my phone, I think literally. Uh, so, uh, but so that'll be scrolling some if you want to see that. So this is where we're going. Doctrine and purity with a purpose. Um, some of that's ahead, but uh, you'll see some of that as we start out. 2 Timothy 2 and 14. The whole text actually runs through chapter 3. I think I might do that. For, to help us out, well, of course we won't preach all through this, but to help us out, let's start in 14 and read along. I am in the ESV. If I stumble a little, I typically read the New American Standard. I love ESV though, and I keep it around a lot, but my daily reading is the New American Standard for certain reasons. Um, so, a worker approved by God is my heading in uh, whoever came up with this. Remember, this is a letter. There's no verses, there's no numbers. It's just a letter a man wrote to another man inspired by God, and now it's Holy Scripture. Uh, remember them, are we there? Remember them, uh, or remind. Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do, do your best to present yourself uh, to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly uh, handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will only lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hermanius and uh, Philetus, uh, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting uh, the, fa the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but of wood and clay, uh, and some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, because these things, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, as, we, as he mentioned. And the Lord's servant, see that one, must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's how he saw mankind. Let's, let's just continue on for a few minutes. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people who will be lovers of self. Does that sound familiar? Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Whoa, imagine that one. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, up with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, uh, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power. Avoid such people. For among them uh, are those who creep into uh, houses and they hold, uh, that holds and captures weak women, burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, 
always learning, never arriving at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupt in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, uh, as it was of those two men. I'll stop there. Do you see where we're going? The whole context there of what we're looking at, of what he's writing to Timothy and warning Timothy, admonishing Timothy, trying to help him out. Don't be timid as you're apt to probably do in some of these, some of these strong false teachers and strong men. Uh, be bold, don't let anyone look down on your youth. You know the word of God, God's behind you. And he tells him in this, he tells him who God actually is in this text and then the chapter next to it. It's a big one, it's a big one of when you're dealing with issues in the church, you need to know who your God is and that he's behind you. It's his doing, not your own. Be bold, that's what he's saying. Be bold, be loving, but be bold and get the job done or they're gonna destroy your church, Timothy. The church of Ephesus will not exist if you don't step up. And God in his sovereignty has Timothy there to step up to protect the church and men around Timothy are helping him by the way. It's not just him alone on an island, it is an island, but it's not just him alone, it's the men he's helping to come alongside of him because they can't do it on their own. Uh, so he says, going to this, look in the verse, remind them. This is pretty simple, right? You know what it is to have a reminder? Do I need to go to the Greek? No, <laughs> it's, it's uh, prompting you. It actually is, the, the thing we need to, the, to look at though is remind is a present tense imperative. It means it's a command. That's what you need to look at. Uh, we are to remind one another. That's another verse, by the way. We're to, it's an, one another verse. To fan the flame. We have what over, well over 100 one another verses for a reason. We need reminded. And that was mentioned. That was mentioned in the sermon, in, uh, last sermon I believe is, we need reminders. I even put up a, a funny post on Facebook about uh, I needed the reminder. I need to, I forget, we're prone to forget, our hearts are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And we have to pray, take our hearts, take and fill it, fill it for your courts above. And that happens in the local church, by the way. Uh, so it says, remind them of these things. Uh, that was going back up to the text that was just preached previously, maybe a little before. We want you to go there. If you really want to go there, just back up and read it after we're done. Uh, let me encourage you to do what I've done, and it helps. Read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Read them all together, or read them this week or the next week, and when they're preaching up here, you'll see all these connections that will blow your mind. They're all like this in these three books. There's an issue going on. It's, it's continued, continuing to go on, and guess what? It's 2023. Guess what? It's continuing to go on. The same things. Uh, Satan will put a different label on it, but it's, it's the same tactics. It's the same fight, and we know his schemes. We know his devices, and our job is to fight the good fight of faith like Timothy, and it is a fight. I'm so used to the past two and a half years of studying the Word of God, and I study for class, yes, and I had to yeah, maybe put some running shoes on, but I've never really had to put my work boots on and studying God's Word until this sermon uh, in two and a half years. Uh, a past pastor of mine said, there's a way to study God's Word with your house shoes on, propped up with your cup of coffee, and then they're studying God's word with your work boots and, your, and uh, your combat boots on. And that's what I had to put on this time. And it was tough. I haven't had them on in a while, but I've had had my running shoes on for school. So it kind of helped. So fight the good fight of faith. And it is, if you're a Christian for any length of time, you know it's a, it's a real fight. And it's an unseen battle, that, an unseen reality for most that we're fighting. So he says, remind them of all these things that we just read, that, that the pastors just read the past couple of sermons. If you back up in the text and uh, so those faithful men under Timothy is them. Remind them. Who is them? If you're, if you don't, you're not used to hearing me, I get hung up on words. I'm just on them now. So it's, we're not going to finish this text. So I'm on them. Remind them. Remind them. Who's the them? Because sometimes this matters. You say, well, it's the church. Well, yeah, I would think so. And it's, it's pretty plain. Scripture interprets scripture when you read through it. But there is uh, the idea that them are those faithful men under Timothy's charge that he's passing the baton to, to go and do the work of the, of the pastoral type ministry, missionary pastoral ministry. He's like, maybe it's those because if you save them, then you have commentators starting to disagree. Godly men starting to disagree on one word called them. So we're not gonna wrangle about words what the text says, we're just gonna go with it. So I'll give you that. It's either them or it's the church of Ephesus Timothy's congregation, his flock, 
uh, he's the under shepherd of God. Um, and then third, I do know this, it's us today. That I do know, the them is us in our pronouns. Get our pronouns right here. The them is us. So I would lean heavily towards saying he is, he's talking to all of those. See how easy it is for me? I'm like, oh yeah, it's all of them. It is the men in his church, it is his church, and it's us. See, that's pretty simple. Uh, so I think it is to the congregation of Ephesus here. He's reminding them all. Matter of fact, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt if, if Timothy got up and said, hey, I got a letter, let me read it to you guys. Uh, pretty confident that took place. And it's to us. Let me, let me, let me uh, let you in on this letter. So that's to them, I believe, uh, to be simple with it. And then he says, before God himself, if you like it, that's the witness, the charge. Uh, remind them of these things. That's the, let's just say these things. That's the word of God. That's doctrine. It's scripture. It's theology. Remind, and that's how we live life, by the way. And charge them before God. The charging them is a present tense imperative that is a, that is a command, right? It's, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> you can or can't charge them. It's not, it's not a, uh, an appeal to, hey, I really, really, really need you to charge them. It's a full authoritative word of God from, from God through Paul, warn my flock. That's what he's saying. Warn my people. And then uh, Timothy's job is to say, yes, I will, or sin. That's, that's, the, that's the only two. Warn them about what? We'll see charge them in the present it's, it's it means warning a solemn charge listen to this i'm not a greek scholar by far we do have a guy who teaches greek in the back so i'm, I'm very careful <laughs> i try to be very careful uh <laughs> um i know you do and so i'm uh, i tread lightly and that's what i'm saying when it comes here and if i'm wrong let me know afterwards please but uh from from uh one greek scholar he said um that this is always in the greek middle voice when he says charge them it's in the greek middle voice with emphasis that that emphasizes that that it is uh witnessing done with a high level of self-involvement in other words they're in it with a strong personal interest in motivating it it's a military term that a general would, would give to a private would a private say no to a general well how much more are you going to say no to god but yet we do and thank god for repentance um there are many churches and many good godly men who didn't warn their church and Satan came in and ravaged it before their very eyes. It's hard and it happens. Uh, so charge them to warn the flock, warn them. Uh, it's a command with authority. Again, not a suggestion. Like repent and believe the gospel. Are you ready for this? That's not an option. When Jesus said that, he said, you do that or you go to hell. I am preaching on hell actually. You do that or you go to hell. That's the, it's my command. And we're to go share the gospel, repent, believe the gospel. It's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's, a, it's an imperative command. You do this or else suffer the consequences. This is, it's not rocket surgery really. This is pretty simple if you look at it. Uh, what about be anxious for nothing, but, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Guess what? Imperative, if you're anxious, you better become unanxious. And God tells you how. Read one of my favorite texts, Matthew 6, about birds and flowers and read it. He's given us examples of why we shouldn't be anxious in this world. And a lot of times I find when I am anxious, it's usually I'm in sin somehow, in the anxiety. And then the anxiety itself is sin. We're not gonna get into the whole medication thing and all that. I'm not gonna touch that one right now, but uh, it's not counseling time, so, so to speak. I'm just saying, that also is a, a command. So don't do what? To charge them for God not to do something. So we have a negative. That negative is don't quarrel about words. Remind them, at least charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Well, of all things, this is what's happening in the church, happened in the church uh, throughout the ages. Uh, and he says it does no good, but only brings ruin to the hearers. So quarreling, it's an old school word. We don't use that, do we? We don't use that in school. Have you been quarreling in class again? No, we don't use that. Why are you guys arguing again? Can I, I'll meet with you individually. It's, it's that, it's kind of like, let me, we don't say quarreling, but what does it mean when he says quarrel or whatever your translation 
may read. It means to strive with words or contend about words. The definition, an easy definition, argument or disagreement typically about a trivial or minor issue between people who know each other. Maybe or may or may not be on good terms. It's a wrangling, uh, an arguing, uh, uh, let me, let's just say deep conversation about words, about details of words. It could be, I've had people come to me and go, you know, uh, in the Greek, the word actually is this. You know, in Hebrew, and I, I'll take that. Like I just said openly, come to me if I'm wrong about something, please. But sometimes the sermon says, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. And because you change one little diphthong, you change one little iota, uh, you change one little thing in a, in a Greek word, a Greek structure, it changes the theology of things. That's the difference between changing some of those nuances in wording and terminologies means I earn my own salvation or it's God's grace alone. That's what, that's what it really comes down to. Uh, it comes down to rightly handling the word of truth, as we'll get into in a minute. So, but that being said, that's what it is. They want to keep you going down a rabbit hole and a trail. They want to waste your time, Christian. They want to, um, trying to stick to my notes here, but uh, they want to say things like and pull you aside like, hey, what did you think about Pastor Josh, Josh's sermon? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned. That. You need to go to Pastor Josh then. Don't talk to me about him. You know what I mean? I know what you're doing. I see what you're doing. And you gotta, we'll get into calling them out, but you gotta do it in love. And you can be firm and they're gonna say, it's, you're being rude and mean and hateful and bitter and vindictive because you're firm. If you say, hold up, <laughs> hold up for a second. Let me tell you something real quick. This ain't gonna happen. This is not gonna happen here in my church. So you need to stop what you're doing, okay? That, we, we use that with our kids. We love them to death, come on. Uh, and they'll turn that into, he yelled at me. It sounds like personal experience over here, doesn't it? Well, we won't go there. <laughs> uh, they change definitions of truths. They love to go deep. They love to lose you in all kind of terminology about changing and definitions. They want to wear you out. They, they love splitting hairs over doctrines and things like that, even secondary issues. We don't have time for that. That's what he's telling Timothy. You don't have time for this. You're going to ruin your hearers. And we'll get into that. Don't ruin the hearers. They're my hearers. Don't do it. And some are leaving the church, not Christians in this context, but some are leaving the church. They're like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. I'm out of here. But they argue. I'm sick of this. Every time we meet, every time we go to community group, geez, there's always the same ones arguing about theology and all this stuff uh, kind of deal. Um, so uh, they always want to say, hey, when you come over for a barbecue, and then they'll slowly start questioning, asking things. They'll pull, pull you aside, waste your time so others can't, others can't get to you. Uh, they'll wear you out. That's the idea. Uh, they don't want you speaking truth. That's the issue. So uh, false teachers comes off, they come off as friendly, caring, nice, uh, until they don't get their way or they're confronted. And then the war's on. Uh, you can bet. If you pay attention to the onslaught, uh, uh, they, they want to strive with you with words. It draws more and more attention to others who listen in on all these. Uh, they'll try to trip you up. Uh, what you need to do is let that die. Let it go. You don't have to answer everything. You don't have to answer every email, every text, every, hey, can we meet? Hey, this sounds more pastoral, but it's all of us. I've been in these situations before, and I, I wasn't even a pastor. And I'm sitting down with a guy wrangling over words, and I thought, oh, well, I get a text. Well, what do you think of this? Hey, listen to this. When he points out this, I'm like, I don't have an hour to listen to your sermon you sent me. Not, not everybody. Now, Pastor Josh sends one. I listen to it. I'll say that. But what I'm saying is, you know, there's a discernment to go, I think, bro, you're just wasting my time. Why? I don't care. I don't care to fight with you. I got other things going on. Um, I'd be better off playing my kids outside. I'd be better off walking my dog than to answer you, truly. That's happened. <laughs> that has happened. I walk my dog before I, before I answer you back. I know what you're doing. Or just confront them and say, once you do this, like I said, the war is on. When you say, I got your number, now you know that I know. You know I know what you're doing. Uh, and then they change tactics to a degree. I'm telling you. I don't know if it's here, sadly. I haven't been plugged in like I should have, like I admitted. Have I been to a community group? No. 
Have I been to men's group at least one time? You know, but uh, will I if I'm alive? Yes. So I'm just saying, listen to this. They will attempt to gain the ear of the pastor, the deacon, anyone who will listen, even a church member. Uh, they want to lead community group. They actually want to be in the pulpit. They want to lead in singing. They want to be a deacon. They want to be on the school board. They want some sort of power so they can influence and come in and get false teaching. And it's not just blatant false teaching either. It's very subtle sometimes. You have to watch it. Uh, if you go, if your discernment radar goes, hmm, I don't know about that. Over and over and over and over again with the individual, you might want to start praying at that point. Uh, God gives us discernment for a reason. It's to protect his church and glorify him. Don't get drawn into this trap. Uh, don't let him ruin the hearers. Be like Nehemiah. I'm doing a great work. Can't come down. Sorry, can't answer you. Might answer you later. Don't come down. I can't come down. Why should I stop working and come down to you? You know what I'm doing? I'm being a farmer, <laughs> soldier. Uh, I got all these, these things I'm trying to be, and you're trying to take away from that. You want me to get and caught up in trivial arguments about nuances of things. And what you do is be like that, band together, be guardians of the truth. And I will say this, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in this area. You let a false teacher go too long in your church and they'll uproot half your church and, uh, and, and it'll be, you just almost have to start over. I don't speak fully from experience. I have a little experience with this and it's very difficult. Uh, have we let somebody go? Yes. Did we pay the price? Absolutely. Um, was it war and battle? Yes. Did it take up a tremendous amount of time to, to get on the back end of it so to, to, instead of get it through the door? Yes. Were we wore out? Yes. Did I lose 20 pounds? Yes. <laughs> Those kind of things. Um, and I've talked to other pastors and you learn. Some pastors, I didn't, they didn't survive it. They left the ministry and the church was completely and utterly destroyed and the false teachers took it off and took some of the more naive younger people with them. And that's sad. Uh, an illustration, an Air Force pilot said that for every one degree a plane gets off course, you'll miss your target landing by 92 feet every mile. Doesn't it sound like a lot? It's a lot. So added it up, get this. If you leave JFK in New York and you fly to LAX in California, you're gonna land that plane 40 miles out in the Pacific Ocean. You're gonna crash it because you're gonna run out of gas because you, you're too far off course. So what I'm saying is, it's subtle. It's, you gotta watch out. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. And that's what he's telling Timothy. Don't quarrel about all these things. You're gonna, you're gonna crash the plane. You're off course. He's, they're pulling you off course. If they pull you off course, they're gonna pull the band of brothers off course. Or they're, and they're gonna pull your church off course and you're gonna crash into the sea and be ruined. Which leads us to, don't quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. I call this the road to ruin. The, the Greek word actually means is where we get our English word, catastrophe. It's, it's just a catastrophe waiting to happen when they get inside the church and start working their, their mojo. That's what happens. Uh, it's not just useless, it's a catastrophe. It's not just a subtle, well, warn them, charge them, maybe. You must charge them because they're coming in and they're coming in to take over. That's what, it, that's what he's trying to say. Um, now, let me back up one thing. It is okay to have decent, serious conversations with somebody in a false teaching mindset. They're not maybe out to destroy the church. Maybe they're in error. That's different. Okay, right? False teaching is different than a Christian brother or even a pastor in error. There is pride here. They're not going to back down. They're going to flare up. It's going to be war. Here, there's going to be humility. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know a pastor who hasn't been corrected, who hasn't changed his ways and be like, oh, especially in theology and doctrine to go, well, when I was young, I believed this, but now I'm way over here, you know, or like uh, Costi Hen. Well, I was in this charismatic movement majorly and now more reformed. It's like it's night and day as God grows us. Error is different than just being a blatant false teacher. And I'm not talking about in the pulpit. I'm talking about also here uh, among us. So it's the road to ruin. It just means destruction and death. Uh, so Paul's not talking about arguing and defending the faith and apologetics and, and explaining things to people more rightly. Uh, we see all through scripture, godly men and women both learning. And we see one being corrected in the New Testament. 
of going, oh, I didn't know the way is right. Let me, let me readjust my ministry now. We see that, and that's okay. Uh, but this is deadly. This could even mean, again, like going to the position of works-based religion. So, again, we get into the worker in verse 15. Do your best present to, uh, yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no, not need to be ashamed, rightly the handing of the word of truth. I'll go into 16, but avoid irreverent babble for only lead people into more and more ungodliness. Then their talk will be like gangrene. Among them are Hermenius. He gives us examples. He names them. By the way, it's okay to name people sometimes for the, for the, for the, the safety of your flock, for the safety of your brothers and sisters. It's okay to name names in conversations from a pulpit. I wouldn't do it all the time because you're that guy or that woman who's always just everything. You know what I mean? It's like everybody's a heretic. Gee, I know we're not all right. I get it. But it's just, you know, you don't have to Osteen me to death all the time. We get it. We get it. You don't have to talk about it every conversation. Uh, but there's times that we can have conversations and, and warn about that. But he says, do your best. That just means be diligent in your duty. Hasten. Uh, guess what? Another, another command. Uh, another present tense imperative command. Uh, be diligent. That's not an option. He's talking to all of us. We want it to be an option. It's just not. The flesh would love that option, but that's not an option. Uh, be diligent in all the ministry God has given you to perform, whether it's a house mom, a mom that stays home with her kids, homeschools, whether it's that, uh, and you're providing for the home, whether it's a work situation, whatever ministry you have, you have a ministry. Uh, you're, you're a walking example of Christ. You're light to the world. He is light. He says, you're the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. There's that diamond illustration. Um, that's what we are. Wherever you're at, whatever ministry God has called you to, He's like, be diligent in that. Showing full diligence, it means fully applying oneself to the task with fervency and speed to accomplish all God has assigned to us by faith. It actually means God's in-birth persuasion working itself out into works, good works. Something's already there. It's not I work to go to heaven, it's, and I work because I need to look good. I'm working because I'm told to do it, so I better do it. It's because the Holy Spirit in you says I want to do it, uh, and that's it. In, in, in birth persuasion to uh, um, to uh, what am I, where am I at? In, in birth persuasion to um, oh my goodness, let's see. I'm going blank. Uh, to do our best. Hello. To do our best or to be diligent. There you go. I got it out. Uh, remember Jesus, he said, zeal for your house has consumed me. So I had to ask myself recently, has zeal for God's house consumed me the past week or the past month or the past year? Because I'll be honest with you, past year, zeal for God's house has not consumed me. Uh, at one point in my life, it did consume me almost to the point of sin. Uh, there's a fine line between serving God faithfully and then going, stepping too far into that, if that, if that makes sense. So there's that. Um, so he says also, do your best to what? Present yourself as one approved of God. Approved just means accepted, tried, tested. It means, it means you've been scrutinized, questioned. You, you've, ex, uh, you've become acceptable because you're genuine, right? Um, you're, you're welcomed after validation. I just saw the FBI, you gotta have credentials to work there. Um, I just talked to a man recently on the street. We had this conversation and uh, I ran into this guy two or three times, but he took a, uh, he lost credentials, therefore he couldn't work for the FBI anymore because he lost credentials. He's not been proven now. His, those are gone. But God stamps his approval, and he does that through his local church, not through a seminary, <laughs> through the local church. And he did that through with, with Timothy. He said, present yourself as one approved of God. As again, he says, watch your life and doctrine, remember. And so we can trust, we can trust him. Timothy had on the job training, by the way. Uh, he was raised up. He knew the Word of God. His mom, his grandmother taught him the Word of God since he was young. It made me think, uh, on this trip to Pittsburgh, I was talking to the Watkins brothers who had been brought up, and Brandon, uh, one or another, another guy here at the, uh, at the school. He's also becoming a pastor at a, uh, in, um, in Fairmont. But it, there's this whole movement, a whole uh, uh, church planning movement called Acts 29 uh, that they're involved in. And I looked at their... Um, uh, at their, um, I guess, pastoral qualifications and oversight, 
And I have to say, you are tested and scrutinized heavily. I mean, they'll turn you inside out. And I thought, well, that's a little too much in some way, but then I understand also the ministry is incredibly serious. You just don't want anybody up there. Maybe they can rightly handle the word, or maybe they're uh, an excellent, incredible orator to move you. I'm not that, but they'll move you, right? But yet their personal life's in shambles. They don't want that in the pulpit. They're like, no, 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 no. Your church is watching you. We're helping your church watch you. This is not going to happen. You got to step back and we got to readjust some things in your life before we'll put our stamp of approval on you. Right? So can you hear me? Are we good? Talking over the lawnmowers. If, if we're one of those cool churches that, uh, that I'm going to really one day, well, it's in the text. I have in my notes. I'm not going to get to it, but I was going to go there with, uh, not always, but when the false teachers come in, they have, they want it all dark, all quiet, all smoky, all, you know, the music has to be absolutely perfect and emotional and moving and, and all that. We just have bright windows and lawnmowers going by. And that actually encourages me. Uh, we have birds flying into the window. Remember that some time ago, a bird hit the window. I forget who was there, but, um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I don't want to go. I'll stop at 12 because I knew I'd go long. I knew we were a little behind as well. So if you can hang in there with me for a couple more minutes, as we, I told you, I, I trudge slowly and I get stuck on words. Um, so he says also to him after that being approved, knowing the word, being approved. Again, local church approving. Uh, he says, don't be ashamed. Again, don't be embarrassed. It's a pride issue, I believe. At the root of it, let's just go there. At the root, to be ashamed of the gospel is pride. If you're habitually, if your lifestyle is being ashamed of the gospel, then in Luke 9, he says, if you're ashamed of me and my words, I'll be ashamed of you. That's hard words from, from Jesus himself in Luke 9. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He's just sold out. He's finally resolved. I'm going to be the farmer, the the athlete, I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be the one, the worker. I'm just, I resolve to go humble and say, this is what I believe, no matter how much somebody's going to make fun of me or what persecution I go through. Um, he is not ashamed of the gospel because he says, it's the power of God unto salvation. In other words, he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's true and it's truth. And there's humiliation there. So study is what he's saying. Uh, what's the cure for being ashamed of the gospel? Study the word of God, know the word of God, know God. And if you ever fall into that trap, he will pull you out of it. So he says also, don't be ashamed, but instead rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling just means to cut it straight. Um, that's kind of the, the strict word. It actually means to line up, to rightly divide it, to know what you're doing. Yeah, that's how I say it, just know what you're doing. Have somebody up there that knows what they're doing. To explain truth rightly, to hold the straight course equivalent to do right. That makes sense? So he's rightly handling, handling the word of God. Unlike the opposite of what he's saying about these false teachers that are entering in, wanting to wrangle over words and fight and waste his time on more important things. Um, so I'll leave you with this question as I go and we're gonna answer this question and, and we're gonna leave the negative. We're talking about doctrine because that's really all he's talking about here when these false teachers come in and false people, teachers, men, women, uh, they subtly pervert the truth. Like I said, don't have to be in the pulpit. You don't have to be in the pulpit if this happened. But they are coming to change Christian doctrine to man-centered doctrine. That's all they're doing. Doctrine, what is that? Have you heard that term? Well, this is theological, this is church. I don't like these terms, doctrine. Uh, well, it's, in the, it's a Bible word, you gotta know it. I don't like the term theology. I've heard that from guys before. Well, what's doctrine matter? I'm like, you're teaching a Sunday school. What do you mean, what does doctrine matter? Are you insane? Uh, doctrine matters. It's heaven and hell. That's doctrine. Uh, it's life and death. It's holiness or sin. It's worldly living versus righteous living. A.W. Tozer said this, one of my favorite quotes by him. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You get that? That's a good one. What comes to our minds when we think about God, that's theology, what we know about God, study about God, doctrine even, is the most important thing about us. So doctrine defines the Latin word, which just means teaching or instruction. That's it. That's all it means. Or to go, you hear this term now, well, I'm not kidding, sending my kid to public school to be indoctrinated with the worldly ideas. You hear that a lot in circles. 
Um, indoctrination is not bad. It's just what you're indoctrinated with that could be bad. Uh, it's just teaching or instructions, teaching instruction of God through his word, about his word. Um, it's what the Bible has to say on partic particular subjects. Uh, like, for instance, we have helps like catechisms, systematic theology books, confessions of faith like Westminster Confession. We go by the 1689 London Baptist, actually taught through that in a systematic way last year at school of going through different doctrines, but we use the 1689 to do it. Uh, and it worked out because I already helped teach through that at a church. So it kind of, uh, and it's all there. It, it, why, did, why did we teach the 1689 to learn theology and to learn doctrine? It's because they systematically had it down for us to help us out. Uh, so really, they, they, why, why reinvent the wheel is what I was thinking. Let's just teach from this and we can go from there. Seemed to work pretty well. Uh, so um, in, in other words, these things help us to have guardrails for safety so we won't go off course. The false teachers just jump over the rails is what happens. So uh, the primary source of Jesus' doctrine was God the Father, John 7. It's where he gets his doctrine from. He said it. The early church was devoted to the apostles' doctrine or teaching, Acts 2. The apostles were ordered by the religious authorities not to teach in Jesus' name. Don't give us his doctrine. The doctrine of Jesus causes people to believe on him, Acts 13. All Christians are commanded to obey the doctrines of Jesus, Romans 6. All believers are to gain an advance in the kingdom and understanding of Jesus and his doctrines and teachings, Hebrews 6. Uh, the great importance of correct biblical doctrine is emphasized in 2 John and 2 Timothy 4, which we'll, we'll be heading from these guys. Now listen to some of these, 2 Timothy. Paul continued down the same path as 1 Timothy to remind Timothy of the importance of gospel-centered doctrine. When you get in these little skirmishes about words, go to the gospel every time they don't want to go there. That's the thing, they'll pull away from that, wait and see. If you haven't experienced it, they, they do not want to talk about the gospel or the things of God. They want to talk about the nuances. Um, so he says, remind the flock of these things, of these false doctrines that could come in to destroy the church and ruin it. First Timothy 4, 6, keep a close watch on yourself and your doctrine or your teaching. Persist, watch, persist. You have no choice, Timothy, no choice. It's a command, again. Command, 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 command to Timothy over and over and over. I'm dying. I'm, I'm about to depart from this world. I'm going to give you everything I got in this last letter. And he says at the end, oh, yeah, by the way, see if you can't come to me because I really need my books. I really want to write and study. And, and that's, that's the very end of his life. And then they beheaded him, uh, history says. So, uh, so watch yourself and your teaching. And let me, I want to leave you with this. I'm just halfway through my sermon. That's okay. This is the end of this sermon. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. You get that? You see how important that is? What's he saying? Watch your life and doctrine because your doctrine will dictate what life you live or what life you lead. In, in other words, uh, tell me what you believe about uh, or uh, your, your life will either glorify God or, or it won't. Uh, we show others our doctrine by how we live, what we say, how we behave, where we go, what we spend our time and money on. And then this is what I was about to say. Show me your life and I will tell you your theology or your doctrine. Just let me talk to you and watch you for a while. And can I almost guess what you believe, especially if you're a professing believer, uh, especially in times of suffering. So I do want to close with this because uh, this has to do with what was preached here. We have issues going on in the church body. Uh, that people are suffering. It's kind of a normal thing in this world, but right now it seems to be ramped up. But uh, people are suffering. They're sad. Uh, I'm sure they're clinging to Christ in this. Uh, but there's, there's an instance of persecution at times too. And we heard this from, I believe, uh, well, uh, Pastor Josh said something about it. I, I do remember Pastor Reese preaching on it two, three weeks ago. For instance, we heard uh, him preach on the suffering and persecution. That is in the text if you keep going back in, into one and two, especially two. Emmanuel must have a correct view of the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and the sufferings of man. You must, must, must have this right. Uh, it's not the gospel of heaven or hell. It's just 
how you would live and how you witness in your suffering while you're on earth. Doctrine matters, especially in suffering. Now on a side note, if you want a good book to read on it, read Thomas Boston's A Crook in the Lot. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. Here's the title, A Crook in the Lot, The Sovereignty and Wisdom of God Displayed in the Afflictions of Man. It'll help you understand God in your suffering. Um, and a false view of God's sovereignty and man's suffering only means double suffering for you. Double, triple suffering on your plate because you do not understand God. And if you're a believer, that must go back to either you're stubborn, you're not listening, or your pastor is not sharing these things with you in any congregation that you must prepare to suffer well for Christ's sake, whatever that would mean in your context. Also, it's not just double, triple suffering, it's a lack of glory to God as a poor witness, Compla the sin of complaining and murmuring, questioning God, loss of joy and the suffering, increased anxiety and depression, to name a few. These are, and, and this just doesn't affect you, these are like side effects you hear on the, on the, you know, the drug commercials. All these are the side effects of not understanding God and understanding how his people must suffer and how he calls on us to suffer. Everyone suffers in this world, I believe as Pastor Reese did point out. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the idea of where he's headed in, in some of these. And I'll close with that because it's important. He is slowly showing you through here and, and Timothy of, of not just to refute false teachers, and what they stand for because I do have a list of like 15 scriptures but look it up this week if you want to just type in uh, you can google it which is a real word by the way in the dictionary you can google it uh, Bible verses uh, on false teaching read it it's permeated throughout almost every book in this word throughout the whole Bible there's always somebody coming in teaching something false and there's always men I'm talking pastors and especially in this word that are always fighting against it always and let me ask you this in church history has anything really changed I mean we're advanced in technology but has anything really changed theologically in the fight with between Satan and sin and self and all this nothing has changed other than the technology is helping us to sin more in different ways which the Bible said would happen so in all these things look those up Look up how he's saying to avoid these people, as we read in, in chapter 3. And how he's saying to Timothy, and I close with this, this is how you're to live your life. This is what you're to do for my church and as a church. And uh, so it's a part of living life. But in that life is defending the faith. And that is by those coming into your local church, causing disruptions, um, and, and that nature. And maybe this church has been blessed enough not to have them in the recent few years, maybe. I don't know the past years. Uh, but will it? Yeah, probably so. Probably so, as you grow, as the church grows. So maybe that helped today to, to some degree as we slowly work our way through 2 Timothy 2. So let me pray. I know you're hot and tired. And so let me pray, and he'll come up and lead us in, 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 uh, in song. Father, let's come before you, and uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for life, life more abundant. Lord, we do thank you for what you told us in Timothy, in 2 Timothy. Uh, Lord, help us, not, help us to be a worker. Help us to be a vessel. Help us to be your servant. Uh, Lord, to do the work of the ministry that you've called us to do. Not to want somebody's other work, but that our, that our own would be there. I pray that you would, as you say here, even in the text, that you are the, uh, the firm foundation. The foundation is the local church. You, the church itself. So I just pray that you would help us to, uh, uh, and I would pray even me specifically to, uh, uh, to look into these uh, eight examples through this text even, and to focus on being that, and uh, in whatever capacity that would bring even this week. Uh, Lord, I know there's a, an issue of when to say no and yes to things and burn out with, with people who just love the Lord, but I pray that you would help us in these areas to discern. Uh, what to do and when to do it and we leave that up to you and uh, Lord again we just thank you for this day you've given us to hear something of your word uh, even reading church history recently of, of the, the thousands upon thousands of illiterate people who never had your word couldn't read it if they did have it and uh, yet as we've read we have an abundance uh, we are literate we can read and can understand we have helps that 
uh, more helps than anybody in the history of the world has in this country as far as understanding your word and living it. So I just pray that we take advantage as Christians of who you are, what you've done, and, uh, and Lord, to, uh, to be about your business. And Lord, give us a heart of zeal for your church, uh, for the local church. And again, uh, we thank you uh, for this day you've given us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Bertram. I did want to, I forgot an announcement. Um, so I wanted to let everybody know um, that Pastor McBride uh, will be here next Sunday. And so I know a lot of you grew up under his ministry. And so we're excited to have him here at Emmanuel. And then I also just wanted to say thank you again to Mr. Bertram uh, for bringing the word this morning. And then uh, he gave you kind of uh, an overview of his weakness. And I think his weakness is his strength. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, he described false teachers who come into a church who are self-ordained. Remember, we started this in 2 Timothy with Paul saying, my ministry is ordained by God, by the will of God, not my own will. And so many false teachers come in um, and you have to be really nervous because he described they're gung-ho. Like they want to be in everything. They want to make decisions. They want to get plugged in. And when Mr. Bertram came, he came in with a little bit of a limp. And uh, I thank God for that because those are the men and women we can use for his glory. And I told him yesterday um, in a text, I said, in your weakness, he's going to be made strong. And I think that's true of every leader, whether it's Pastor Reese. I hope it's true of me. We really strive to have our weakness on display because God uses that here in this church. And so I'm so thankful for him. Uh, what he sees as a weakness, I think, is a strength that we would call it just gospel humility. And uh, knowing your limitations and knowing that as men, um, we fail often, but he is faithful. And, uh, and then the final thing that I would say as we go, and Jeff leads us in our last song, is does your spoken theology match your lived theology today? And so that's, uh, that's what Timothy is all about. Is like we come and we hear these wonderful truths about God. And then what does our life look like? What does our response look like? And so that's why we did the responsive reading this morning. That's what this is all about, is responding rightly to good doctrine and theology. We learn about God. We learn who he is. And in the knowledge of God, we live that out. And so we sing, we rejoice, we read, uh, we share the gospel, and we uh, live our lives according to it. And so thank you, guys. Um, it's a joy to be with you today. Thank you again, Mr. Bertram, for a great, great message from the Word of God. And Jeff, if you'll close us out. Okay. As you know, I tried to give a little bit of background on some of these songs. And you've probably noticed a lot of them have been written by pastors and preachers and such. But the last one was written by a cotton picker, right? Lily of the Valley was written by a bricklayer in the late 